Hey, everybody. You know, Mark and I have over 20 years of experience as therapists and as addicts in long-term successful recovery. We know better than anyone what works and what doesn't to break out of porn and sex addiction, heal betrayal trauma, and reclaim your relationship. And we've poured all of our personal and professional recovery and healing experience into a first-of-its-kind program for addicts, spouses, and couples. We call it Dare to Connect. At least four times every week, we engage with you in real time, in the trenches, giving you the knowledge and the tools to take back your life and relationship. Whatever else you've done on your journey for healing and recovery, you've never done anything like this. You know, Mark and I, we've made all the mistakes, so you don't have to. Don't reinvent the wheel. We all know tomorrow never comes. Look, don't wait one more day to change. Claim your free two-week trial today at daretoconnectnow.com. Hey, everybody. I'm Steve Moore. And I'm Mark Castleman. We know the pain and heartbreak of porn and sex addiction. And we know the triumph of breaking completely free. Every day, we help our clients find hope and healing. Join us in the fight to take back your life, your marriage, and be stronger than ever. This is the PBSC Squared Podcast. Welcome back, everybody. This is part two of our uh, of our two part episode, "Breaking Free from Addiction's Victim Trap." Mark and Steve here coming at you on the on the PBS Week podcast. We we uh, last week uh, wrapped up and talked a little bit about a lot of the issues and challenges that come from falling into that victim trap and the and the reasons why we have to break out of it. And then we started to just barely jump into a little bit into solutions. T- started talking about healthy accountability, the differences between that and its and, and its kind of polar extremes of denial and shame. And we're going to jump right here into and kind of build off of that terminology of, of, you know, being healthy, accountable and taking ownership of the things that I should and, and allowing others to own the things that they, they should. And we're going to talk about how to let go of a spouse's recovery in order. It's kind of a symbiotic relationship. The first step towards either personal recovery, frankly, or marriage recovery is letting go of your partners, right? It's letting go of their, it's letting go of their, uh, what they do to recover or what they do to change. And it, and it's placing that focus, which sometimes feels counterintuitive in this business, right? Uh, it's placing that focus on the self and saying, okay, you know, recovery begins with me, right? What is in 12 step, the way that it's talked about is, you know, what is my side of the street? Yeah, and, and and the great challenge with that, if we're just going to be as, you know, raw and real about this, is there's a part of us that believes that that's exactly the opposite of what I need to do. Hmm, when we yeah. feel a lot of pain, when we feel uh, we're hurt, we're betrayed, uh, we're hopelessly addicted, whatever is causing this great disruption in our lives or our relationship, the natural tendency 
of the survival part of us is to not let go, but to control. Mm -hmm. The natural tendency is to seize control of the entire process and clamp down and try to dictate outcomes. Make sure that my expectations are met by seizing control of this whole process. Yes. And so we know as we talk about this that it, it really does sound counterintuitive because we're saying, look, you got to let go of your spouse's recovery, healing, the things that they're feeling, the stuff that they're going through. That's their path. And you need to focus on your path. And part of you saying, wait a second, that's crazy. I can't do that. I got I to gotta keep hold of this. I got to mm. control this. Or it's, or it's going to get out of control. And my pain's going to be even worse. So there's a big part of us that's screaming, you know, let go, let go. And we're like, no, no, I got to control. I got to control. So it's really hard to get your arms around that sometimes. No, it is. It's, it's, it's really difficult. I mean, I look back on my own recovery and, you know, letting go of my spouse's recovery as an addict took a lot of different shapes, right? Uh, one was letting go of the resentment side of that. Mm. which was, why isn't she doing this blah, 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 blah. I have to go to a 12-star group. Why won't she? You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know whatever else, right? It's, it's, that whole, it's that whole age-old blaming game that we addicts oftentimes play where it's, you know, look at the fires going on around everywhere and else so that no one looks at mine kind of a thing. And yeah, I had, a, I had a husband this, uh, this last week that said, you know, why can't we just move on? I'm not saying that I haven't caused a lot of pain and there hasn't been a lot of stuff go on in the past, but why can't we just move forward? Sure. I always tell her, can we just move forward? Yeah. And my course re- tried to point out to him, you know, put yourself in her shoes. And when, when you say to her, why can't we just move forward? How does she interpret that? Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's that whole dynamic we've talked about in past podcasts, right? Where there's like that kind of like uh, last week we talked about, I started off the podcast with my Tim and Ashley couple example, right? Yeah. Those aren't their real names, but, but yeah, we talked about Tim and Ashley and how that was very much a dynamic. And there's still that surrendering, right? Of one's own happiness or serenity to, to the partner. And so we have to take that focus as quick as we can back to personal recovery, not just letting go of the resentment, but again, also letting go of the shame, Right. As an addict, it is critical to realize I can't, and we've talked about this before, but if you don't take anything, you guys out there or, or gals in some cases uh, from this podcast, please take this, this mantra. I cannot fix my spouse. I can't. I cannot fix the damage that I have done. As we have said many times, unfortunately, trauma is always a one-way street. I can inflict lots of trauma on a relationship and on a marriage and on a partner, but I, there is no way to undo those things. I can, like, you know, we've talked about on the podcast oftentimes in the past about all of these ways in which I can create a, 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 a breeding ground, if you will, for that recovery to develop from, kind of a Petri dish to grow out of. But all that is, at the end of the day, is creating safety through transparency and through action but also it's, it's, it's choosing to trust the process, right? And recognizing that, you know what, even though it may not be fair, the only one that can do their own healing is just that. It's, it's my wife's own healing, right, to own. Yeah. So that's a tricky one. It's a tough one. It's a really tough one. And there's, you know, there's a lot of other components to that. And, and yes. we, could, we could do a whole podcast <laughs> on concepts like forgiveness, concepts like 
uh, you know, there being uh, an atonement or a savior or, you know, that whole, that whole part of grace, which is an essential in my experience is an essential component for this to work. Like, how can I let go of all this? How can I just leave my spouse's healing to her, take care of my own side? If there isn't some power, some external power of grace and healing and forgiveness that is beyond what I can do by myself. Mm-hmm. There has to be a, a reliance and a welcoming and an embracing of that unconditional help that comes from somewhere else. Well, and for an addict in that dynamic, and obviously this applies in large degree to a spouse working with a with an addicted partner, um, there's there's an element of trusting not just the process, but trusting the other person, which is kind of a paradox I because in the beginning, right, trust is so low, right, on both ends of the coin. From the addict's perspective, it's like, oh my gosh, she's going to leave. She's telling me she's not going to leave, but she's going to leave. She's going to for sure leave. I can't let her leave. I can't let her do anything. I'll make her leave. And for the spouse, right, it's the exact, it's the exact opposite. And the only way to, you know, change that dynamic again is pulling that, that focus. We, we, the catalyst for this is recognizing that my spouse, frankly, they're going to do whatever they're going to do in this process. Their recovery is, is between two people, them and their higher power, Right. Yep. Now, I want to be careful here because the stuff we're going to talk about here, guys, again, it's nuanced. There is no black and white in what we're talking about here today, because obviously how what your spouse is doing for their recovery and not is going to play a huge role in the marriage's recovery, right? That's a huge piece of the pie, and there's no getting around that. And so we want to make sure there's a clear delineation there. But when it comes to strictly just my own recovery, outside of maintaining critical safety stuff and We'll have to talk about that more another kind of another day. It, my, the mantra that I recommend to to partners or to addicts is my spouse's recovery is none of my business. <laughs> it really isn't. Like I, I I should be holding boundaries and and saying you know what as a result of your recovery for the marriage I need to see X Y and Z things happen right I need to see greater transparency I need to see this I need to see that. And, but, but the more, in my experience, the more that I see a spouse let go of how that happens, not only is it, does it allow me to focus on my own recovery and put the energy there, but it actually is productive for the other person's recovery because then they can take on that role of being proactive with it and making the choice to recover on their own, as opposed to doing it from a place of duress or being compelled. Yeah. And it's, and I think you're, it's really important to make a delineation. Like you've said, there's my recovery and healing. There's my spouse's recovery and healing, which are, uh, you know, to take place in their own world. And then there's the relationship there. There is absolutely the marriage Mm -hmm. and that marriage relationship is dictated in large part by what each of us are doing individually. Yes. That's why I like to say I'm following my path of recovering healing. You're following yours. And hopefully if, if we're doing what, what we need to do in our own realm, those two parallel paths will over time come close together where they intersect. And now we're, we're on the marriage path. Mm-hmm. But that can't happen unless we're each traveling our own individual paths and allowing each other to do that. Yes. And yeah. I have seen I have seen many spouses and many addicts from a really from from a healthy intentional place, all right, an intentionally healthy place. I've seen them come at uh, trying to to do the opposite of what you're describing from you know a place of love and wanting to save the marriage and save the relationship. 
But the problem is on an individual, you have to be really careful. And there's a delicate balance there because the more you insert yourself into your partner's recovery, in most cases, the more you're going to hold it back. You have to be able to let go of that and say, you know what, this is not just yours to own, but I'm going to make the choice to choose that you're going to to do those things that will help to meet my boundaries, help to create safety in this relationship for, as we work on it, and that are going to allow for a reunification, right? And a greater, a greater marriage as a result. But, but again, trust is at a low premium in this stage of recovery, <laughs> and that's know. a hard thing to do. And you've got that codependent factor that we're talking about, right? Because really a lot of that, I think, is a lot of what we're talking about is driven by that. I want my partner to recover as long as it's in a way that makes sense to me, right? <laughs> yeah. I want, I want my spouse to get better as long as she does it in a way that, it, that, that lets her not be angry with me all the time or not have sex with me. As long as she can do a recovery in that way, I'm fine. Whatever, whatever happens, <laughs> right? right? <laughs> you have to be willing to let go of those caveats yeah. as part of this process, and that's I, hard to do. I want my husband to be in recovery on my terms. Yes. <laughs> as long as he does that, we'll be fine. Absolutely. And again, yeah. you should absolutely, each, each partner should be setting their own boundaries as we've discussed in past podcasts, right? Only you at the end of the day can decide, you know what, these are the things that I need from a partner in a marriage, right? However, I have found that the more you can let go of, the more, the more a wife, for example, is able to say, look, honey, here's my list of boundaries, right? These are the things that I need from you. How you figure these out or how you make these happen is up to you. It's not only freeing and liberating for her, it's it's empowering for him. Yes. Right? Yes. It's, the goal is who you need to become, who, who I need to be married to is this guy. Because now what am I doing? What I'm doing is I'm inviting my partner to join me rather than saying toe the line. Right? Yes. Rather than saying, hey, you need to you need to toe the line or else it's saying, hey, I'm evolving, right? I'm focused on my own recovery. I'm changing. I'm moving forward. The view up here is awesome. You want to come join me? Like it's awesome up here. Yeah. As opposed to damn it why won't you? Yeah, and it's an interesting it's an interesting paradigm because if I if I create an environment where I'm I'm supervising your recovery or healing, I'm putting all sorts of uh requirements and expectations and I'm and I'm you know I'm hovering over you, then what I'm doing is I'm actually I'm actually continuing to create an environment where you can easily stay stuck in your victim trap. Mm-hmm. Because now you're doing things because of my pressure. Yes. You're making decisions based on, you know, me watching you and observing you. And all of the all of the motivation is misplaced. Yes. I need to hopefully get to a place in my own recovery where I'm doing it for me. Mm-hmm. I'm doing it because I don't like the man that I've the addict man that I've become. And I want I want to evolve into something better, something different. I want to step into my highest, truest self. And I want to do that because I desire it in my heart, my heart of hearts, not because of the pressure you're putting on me, but because I want to be that guy. Now, yes, I want to be that guy because I want to be with you. That's true. But it's not, I'm not doing it simply because you're going to be upset and unhappy if I don't. Yes. And it's, boy, it's a hard thing to, to try and navigate that. Where are my intentions? Where are my true motivations in all of this? And, you know, that, you know, we talk about one of the biggest ways to come out of this victim trap is boundaries that we're talking about. 
Yeah. You know, I, I love your terminology. Boundaries are a, a love map. Mm-hmm. They're a relationship map that where you share with me the map that I can follow in order to be united and intimate and one with you. And you're saying, here's yeah. what I need. Mm-hmm. Now, how I go about that, my own personal journey of development and growth and working and sacrifice to get to that place. That's up to me. Yeah. But Absolutely. the fact that you've clearly communicated it and I know what it is, is really helpful. Yes. But then you have to express that and then let me do my thing. That's the hard part. Here's what I need. And now let me make sure you do that. Well, and hopefully, hopefully our longtime listeners are, are starting to piece together things from different podcasts and see how it kind of, as in, is the case on many of these episodes, they all kind of interweave together, right? Because not because breaking out of victim or either playing the victim or enabling the victim in your partner is probably a good way to say it. Doing either one, breaking out of that and replacing that with healthy accountability on both ends and taking ownership and responsibility for what we need to and letting go of the rest is also not only is it easier emotionally and it prevents a lot of the problems that, or mitigates a lot of the problems that we talked about last week, it's what actually allows for real recovery to happen. It is the difference that we've talked about on different, on other podcasts where in, in my practice, I call it it's the difference between being compelled and the difference between, between being compelled and being converted. Yeah. Right. You, a real recovery is a conversion to a new way of life. It's a buy-in because one, I see the benefits for me and, and my happiness and the influence that it has secondarily on those around me, but it's a buy-in uh, that, is, that is intrinsically based. Whereas compelled is I'm doing it under the gun and I have never, and, and when you're compelled, you might gain compliance, but you won't get that conversion, which is probably one of the biggest mistakes that, that both therapists and clients who don't have training or knowledge in this area make. And that's why so many people or one of the reasons why so many people go through this never ending cycle of seemingly getting better for a month or two or three or six. And then what? Falling right back in, right back in both with the addiction as well as in the marital problems. And it's just this never ending churning. They start that beginning catalyst portion, but among other things, they're doing it again. A a guy is pursuing sobriety under the gun. And so he's, he's, he's like, I gotta be sober. She'll leave me. I gotta be sober. She'll leave me. I gotta be sober. She won't have sex with me. And, and because he's operating under that or other under guises like that, it's never sustainable. No, in fact, it's, it isn't sustainable because it's exhausting. Yeah. I can't keep that up. It's just, sure. I, can't, I can't clench my fists and be under the gun and continue that. That's why it doesn't last. Whereas on the other hand, what we're talking about breaking out of this victim trap is I'm doing my recovery for me. Yep. Whether she stays with me or not, I am still doing what's really important for me to yes. grow and evolve and, and, and step into the man that I really desire to become, I am doing that regardless of the outcome in our relationship. Yes. So that's a hard place to come to grips with. Absolutely. But it's so essential. It's the only thing that lasts in this process. Mm-hmm. And, what? 
And it's probably, you know, watching our time, we're keeping our goal that we set last week of by hook or by crook, we're going to keep this under, under a certain time. So uh, moving on to kind of the next step here and the next natural evolution of this. And this is, this ties really well into several podcasts we've done over the last month or so guys. So please go back and listen to those where we talked about boundaries in marriage and why they're important. Here is another facet of why it's so critical, critical when it, as it plays out in this victimhood piece. If you listened to last week's episode and you heard me talk about this couple I'd worked with several years ago called Tim and Ashley, named Tim and Ashley, pseudonames, obviously. Um, one of the critical problems that, or challenges that we were facing in that, in that therapeutic process that really drug it out far longer than it needed to, frankly, was because there was a, con- there was a fairly consistent lack of adherence to keeping the boundaries that we would set. We would set goals and, and things to work on, for example, in therapy, right? Be it things in, in the journaling efforts that we would have, I would have them do in their check-ins and other assignments that we give or that I give and Mark does as well, you know, as part of the therapy process. And they would take those and either kind of halfway do them or do them as long as it fit in with how they wanted them or put their own spin on them. And, and they wouldn't adhere to those boundaries that we would set as a group. And that lack of boundaries will, will hinder progress, not just in any area, but it will here as well. You, any, any good boundary doesn't have any, really any exceptions for the most part, right? A boundary is just that. Recovery lives and dies on exception in, in, in many, many ways. Um, if I have made a commitment, right, that I am going to not hound my spouse or pester my spouse about what she's doing in her recovery efforts that week, then I need to consistently follow through with that, even though I may see her go shopping five times this week, and I don't see her studying or reading or reaching out to women in group or going to therapy or whatever the case is. I need to be able to adhere to that boundary and be able to say, I'm, I'm keeping that focus on me, her recovery, her business, right? Her job, her responsibility. Well, as far as it showing up in the marriage goes, we will have that discussion. We'll address that in therapy in our couples counseling or, you know, what have you, but I am going to stick with setting that aside or whatever other boundaries are we put in place so that we can allow these new patterns to develop. Otherwise they never do. Yeah. And that's probably a good, a good ending place for this is one of the ways that I've seen that, you know, if you're, reverting back to the victim trap, or you're really on the side of, you know, moving forward in your recovery and healing. And that is when things quote, get really hard. Mm -hmm. If we have an extra hard day, or, you know, I'm under super stress, or my spouse did something unexpected, or whatever hard thing it is. And now your brain says, Oh, this is a reason for me to step outside the boundaries, because I have to. Yes. These are exceptional circumstances, so those boundaries can't apply. Sure. So I got to step back into control, back into old behaviors, because this is just too intense to hold to these boundaries. When you do that, you know that you have now stepped back into the victim trap. Mm-hmm. You've left the place of proactive, right? Taking responsibility for my own path. Now you're back into the old ways, because this is the exception. You know, Steve doesn't know how hard this is. And his boundaries don't really apply this time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Man, do I, and I did that so many times. Yep. I don't need, I can't do the boundaries because this is unusual. Yes. 
And right well, back you, into the victim trap. Oh yeah. Well, and, and you bring up a great point, Mark, because there, there, you're absolutely right. There is that letting go, right. Of, of exception. I also see it on the, uh, you know, from a, again, a, you know, kind of crap hits the fan. We got to do something different, right? It's code <laughs> yeah. red, you know, red you alert, know. you know, throw away all Steve's throw away all our therapist boundaries. Let's do the same old crap and expect a different <laughs> result. We must break the glass on the insanity box and pull that out. So, um, so there is that side of it, but you know what I honestly see more commonly, well, maybe not more, it's probably 50, 50 to be honest, but, but what I also see somewhat commonly or a significant amount of the time is doing that same thing for the opposite reason. When things are hard and crap has hit the fan, they're like, okay, we suck this, you know, we're, we're not good at this on our own. This, this therapist, crazy Steve or Mark guy, you know, even though they seem a little on the nut side, we, they, we seem to do better when they're telling us, you know, things to do and we stick with it. So we're going to stick with it. But then the things will get, they'll start to get better. I see this with clients all the time that clients will come in in a desperate place, either as a couple or individually, I will give them some things to work on. And inevitably not trying to toot our horns, but we do know what we're doing. Things start to get better pretty quick. Now yes. they don't, they're not perfect, but they start to see some rapid change. And what couples will do is they'll make the mistake of, oh, we're good. Yep. <laughs> right? <laughs> yep. We don't, we don't need to do those things anymore because those were just for when times were desperate and difficult yes. and tough. Now we're, now we're normal, quote, now we're normal. And so we can go do normal things. We don't have yes. to do those things anymore. We agreed in therapy last week, this is one I see commonly, that we were both going to abstain from requesting or, or engaging in a sexual manner for the next several weeks, right? We were, and there's lots of reasons we do that in recovery, but this is a popular example, right? We, either because the sex has become toxic, either for the couple or individually, or it's enforcing codependency. There's a lot of reasons why we do it. But I see that one all the time. I'll work with a client and we'll set a boundary. Okay, we're going to do 30 days of a sex fast where we're going to abstain from that. And it's going to allow us, among other things, to focus on just the emotional side of the recovery. Well, what happens? They have a week or two that's really good. And you know what? And then they'll come in on week three, kind of looking at me like a couple of horny teenagers talking to their ecclesiastical leader, you know, who have they can't look me and meet me in the eye and they've, and they've gone out and they've been intimate. Right. And it's not that they're in trouble, (laughs) but inevitably, but you know what I see nine times out of 10 in those situations. I mean, sometimes I guess you shoot the moon and and, and it works out. Okay. But too often what happens is they come in, not just looking sheepish, but then we look at the rest of the week and we can trace a lot of the regression in the relationship to that night. Yep. Because they got complacent, and when one boundary tends to be let go of, it's easy to let go of the others. And before you know it, you're right back in the exact same pattern you were a month ago before you started. Yeah, exactly, right? exactly. Um, so, well, we are up against the clock, my friend. We are. So we, we are. need to Absolutely. we need to do what we said. So let's wrap this up. Yep, let's do it. Okay, <laughs> so. So uh, we've, we've covered some really good points uh, starting last week as well as this week. Uh, I think that the best thing to do, honestly, with this, we'll do a little bit of unique, uh, a unique uh, assignment here. And that's going to be going back and looking through uh, your marriage and your relationship and, and be asking yourself the question, you know, where does this stuff play out? In what way might my spouse and I be a Tim and an Ashley, Right. In what way are we allowing codependency 
to foster this idea of, of victimhood, either from a perspective of enabling that in my partner for whatever reason, or in falling into it on, on myself as a way to either abscond responsibility or because of you know different dis, different things that I've learned that are incorrect in the process up to this point or whatever, you know, are those ele- are any of these happening? And and go through that first podcast and then look at those look at those issues we listed, right? The highlights being being distracted mentally and emotionally by your your partner stuff, so that you're dra- too drained to work on your own issues. Uh, the fact that uh, too often we give away our power over our own happiness, right? And put that permission in the driver's seat of someone or something else, such as a spouse, uh, that perpetual hopelessness and that endless frustration. Uh, sit down and as a couple and talk about, hey, what, which of these are we seeing, right? Well, are, are we seeing signs of this? Are we, you know, what are the warning signs? Let's, let's use this uh, podcast as an emotional WebMD. Uh, that's, a, <laughs> that's a trademark. So no trademark, WebMD, patent pending. Um, so let's use it like that. And then let's, uh, and, and, and look at it that way. But then the second one is going to be of these solutions that we talked about, right? Developing accurate accountability, uh, recognizing and practicing that the first step of personal recovery is letting go of your spouses. And then that clear setting and adherence to boundaries being required is, uh, looking at those, those three or four points going through and saying, and asking yourself, and I, I don't say this in a bad way, but we can all improve in all of these areas, myself included. So in what ways can we improve in these areas? How can we step up the game? How can we, what goals can we set? What, what changes can we make in this process to take what we're already doing in recovery and make it even better, enhance it, make it quicker, all of those things. I, I have high hope that everybody listening to this podcast, the fact that you're tuning in uh, alone shows that you have a vested interest in this process. So it's not about taking bad recovery and making good recovery necessarily. It's just about taking it to the next level and the next step. And that will bring us to the last caveat today, which is, is and this is really the last step of, the, of, of this, and I can't recommend this enough on this topic. Really a therapist, honestly, guys, is pretty essential for most couples to break out of this dynamic, if I'm just being real with you. by the For, for too many couples, these behavior patterns and these relationship ruts is what I call them have become so entrenched and happened for so long that the concept of even doing something different, it isn't that people, not only do people are resistant to change, but they just don't see how it could or even ought to be different because it's just been that way for forever. And having a third party unbiased who's clinically trained, they specialize in these unique issues, somebody who can mediate right at the beginning of this process, really, I, I've seen very few couples and I would throw myself in this bag of, of being able to do that without that kind of intervention. We needed that, my wife and I. And so, um, but, uh, but yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's all I've got. Mark, you got anything to add? Nope. We're out of time. So okay. my invitation is, you know, you don't have to stay into, in the victim trap or the victim mode. You can step out of it and take back your personal sovereignty and your own healing and recovery and travel those uh, individual paths. And I promise you, as you do that, you'll find that uh, those paths will come back together and you'll be better together because you're better individually. Yes. And you'll step out of that victim trap and, and basically break those chains. Absolutely. So, we appreciate our listeners. We appreciate all you guys do. We appreciate you tuning in. We, we care about you. We're invested in you. We pray for you. We, we think about you often. So thank you for being a part of the, part of the show. Have a great, uh, have a great week, everybody. All right. We'll see ya.
That's all for today. Thanks for joining us. And remember, the opposite of addiction isn't sobriety, it's connection. Together, we can do the impossible. To learn more about Mark and Steve and to listen to more podcast episodes, visit us at pbscpodcast.com. Everything expressed on the PBSC podcast are the opinions of the hosts and the participants and is for informational and educational purposes only. This podcast should not be considered mental health therapy or as a substitute thereof. It is strongly recommended that you seek out the clinical guidance of an individual qualified mental health professional. If you're experiencing thoughts of suicide, self-harm, or a desire to harm others, please dial 911 or go to your nearest emergency room.